The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before listening to the podcast. New episodes air Tuesdays at 10pm on FX. Join us every week after the show. We shot at night. Every morning going back to the hotel, we would drive past the Kremlin as the sun was coming up. And even working with the background actors, passing on the street, they have a Russian look and Russian thoughts. Welcome to the Americans podcast for season five. I'm June Thomas, managing producer of Slate Podcasts and your host for the series, which goes behind the scenes of the show. Today, we'll be talking about 508, Immersion, with Tracy Scott Wilson, who wrote this episode. Then we'll chat with Costa Ronin about his character's evolution and the show's increasing focus on Moscow. Today, I'm in glorious Gowanus, Brooklyn, with Tracy Scott Wilson, who wrote episode eight. Hey, Tracy, thanks for joining us. Hi. So this season, there's a feeling more than ever of one generation kind of handing the baton to the next. Gabriel's retiring, and Philip and Elizabeth seem to be feeling more conflicted about their work. And there's Twan and maybe even Paige kind of representing the next, possibly even scarier generation. That theme really gets a good workout in this episode, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Gabriel leaving is a, is a big deal. And where Philip and Elizabeth are going to fit into that or not fit into that. You know, I think Philip's reaction to, in the first scene, Gabriel leaving is a surprise. And she, you know, he says he's glad he's leaving. Underneath it all, I just think is this is this concern for Paige. Yeah. And what's yeah. going to happen to her. And it's just, it's just the elephant in the room. You even have... The feeling that Philip and Elizabeth are maybe feeling like they're too old for this shit. Partly because they're working so many operations. Their feelings about the things that they're doing seem to be getting more complicated. And then towards the end of this episode, you get the feeling that as they're aging, they're maybe getting a little bit less desirable and a little bit less able to seduce their prey. I mean, Elizabeth makes that comment to Philip, who kind of makes his own little response. Are our heroes getting past it? Well, part of the reason um, they're having difficulty with their honey traps is because they're growing closer as a couple. Mm. They're actually um, having more of a relationship. It's become harder for them to turn it on and turn it off. And also, I think, also for Philip, you know, he he basically had two wives at one point. Right. And he, I don't know if he was in love with Martha, but he definitely, he loved Martha yeah. very deeply. And I think his guilt over that and how that went is weighing on him as well. I don't think he could imagine having to get that close to someone again and Mm -hmm. causing that much pain. Yeah. And Elizabeth having seen him go through all that pain as well, I think is, is, is feeling very empathetic. And and maybe too, as they're bringing Paige a little more into the, into what they're doing, that's something that they're going to have a really hard time telling her about, right? Yeah, I think that they hope they can avoid telling her about the sex and the killing. She doesn't even know about the costumes. Just <laughs> that they have different names and they pretend to be different people. Right. But how long before she'll figure that out? Yeah. And that she'll have to do it, too. 
Maybe. So Stan and Adderholt tell Sophia they'll put some of the money that they pay her for informing into a college fund for her son. Is that something that really happened? Yeah, because they come from such a poor country. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what five hundred dollars means mm-hmm. because it sounds like a lot of money, and it sounds like right. oh, I could buy, I could buy a house, I could buy a car, I could do this. It was very hard for them to understand how how different it was here. And as someone who's obsessed with American dentistry, I must know the origins of Sophia's dental storyline. I mean, I think it was just part of showing how these relationships that some of these informants had with the FBI that it was. Uh, not just financial, but it became something very personal. Mm-hmm. You know, her mm-hmm. asking that was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And also, it just becomes this very sort of, you know, I guess in many ways, paternal relationship. Yeah. And emotionally dependent relationship that she could tell them that. She made herself vulnerable. Yeah. And then it sort of opens them up as well. They see her feeling more confident. Yeah. We did that. You can make you feel good. Right, you know? right, right, right. But at the same time... She's putting her life in danger. Elizabeth, in this episode, tells Paige about her rape, which feels very important on many levels, being more open. And yet, as we were just saying, there's so much stuff that would definitely freak Paige out if she knew about it. Maybe the sex even more than the violence. Still, that was very key. How did you approach how that conversation would go down? Well, because she was training Paige at the time, I think the idea was that she sees Paige getting stronger, being in that garage where she killed Timoshev, is bringing up memories. Mm-hmm. And seeing Paige vulnerable is triggering Elizabeth, remember, even without asked, she didn't have mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> triggering when she felt vulnerable. And so it was just about her opening up in a way, but in a way that was, I think, is surprising. Because it's almost matter of fact. She is Elizabeth when she tells her, and she's strong, mm-hmm. and she's not ashamed. She she knows that she, she didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's a big moment because I think that strength changes Paige. Mm. Yeah. Now let's journey to Moscow. Well, Moscow on the Gowanus. I am now in the Burov's dining room with Costa Ronin, also known as Oleg Igorovich Burov. Do you think it would have been typical for a man like Oleg to live with his parents if he wasn't married? I mean, obviously, these this is the nomenclatura. His yeah. father's a minister. He's is, is never going to have as nice of a setup. Would it have been typical or is it mostly because his family is so destroyed by his brother's death? Well, his brother's death also brought the family together. So depending on whichever way you look at it, it did bring the family together. It did strengthen the relationship between Oleg and his mom mm-hmm. and uh, his father also. And also him being there strengthened the relationship between his parents. As far as living in the parents' home, I would say it's very common. Mm. Look, it's one of those situations where, yes, if it was an ordinary family, it wouldn't even be a question because mm-hmm. uh, there was a, a shortage of apartments. Families live together, you know, parents, grandparents, mm-hmm. children, grandchildren, you know, 10 people in, a, in an apartment. Uh, however, knowing the family that Oleg is coming from and mm-hmm. his pool and the pool of his family, I'm sure they were in a position to organize an apartment for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, it was a choice not to. Mm-hmm. And that's why Oleg is back in his uh, short bed and, <laughs> and he's sleeping kind of, uh, you know, with his feet hanging off. Yeah. 
the bed and uh, he's having his mom's dinner. Right. Well, we uh, got a chance to walk through the house, the apartment earlier. How wonderful is it? Huh? It's amazing. As you're watching the show, you get to see little bits of it, but getting to walk from room to room and it's set up like a real apartment. It doesn't seem like a set. It seems like I could move in here. Did it strike you as a very authentic Russian home? Very much so. I, look, first, I remember the very first day when we shot here, Chris Long and myself, I walked through it. The set designers and the art designers of the show were able to not just recreate an apartment, and like you rightfully said, you can just move in here, yeah. and I mean, the fridge works. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is the most important thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> they managed to capture the energy of the apartment. So mm -hmm. when you're here, us sitting here right now, you have this sense of sitting in somebody's home. Yeah. You don't think that there are, you know, the lamps and the the screens and the flags and all that sort of stuff. You don't have that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The energy of the place is very serene. It's very calm. You mm -hmm. almost expect car beeping and horns <laughs> right, on the street right, behind right. this very window. Yeah, yeah. But also, this is the place where Nina's cell was. Right. And so I remember when Chris and I walked through this place, we both felt it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because now, even though from the character point of view, of course, he's in his uh, home and, and mm -hmm. back in Moscow, but the energy of having Nina's cell in this place yeah. almost like, yeah, yeah. and the energy of it and everything that we know happened mm -hmm. is tremendous. Mm -hmm. It's also, uh, I know from having spoken with the art department earlier, not that different space-wise from the Residentura. This set is actually a kind of reconstruction of what used to be the Residentura, right? That's you next also, door. But it's, you know, you're not yeah. that far from the yeah. Residentura. And you also obviously spent a lot of time there. Do you feel that energy too? You know, not at the apartment, but I do at the uh, Oleg's new working place. Uh-huh. Because now he works, of course, the writers created his whole new world together, uh -huh. gave him a new boss, he works in Dubyanka, he's dealing with anti-corruption. So... What happens is that energy definitely carries on. And the office that used to be Nina's office and then Tatiana's uh -huh. office, they turned it around and now it's Shevchuk's office. Uh -huh. <laughs> but they changed the position of the table. Yeah, yeah. And so all those energies are there. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. You know, you feel it. You feel yeah. the energy walking through the space. And it doesn't matter that it looks different. In your mind's eye, you see different things. It's almost like the Matrix. You see it in a completely <laughs> different light. Yeah. Well, speaking of energy, yeah. I understand you also went to Russia to film some scenes this year. What was yes, that like? Yes, we did. We did. It was a gift. Now, had it been a while since you had been to Russia? How long had it been? 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you had that kind of experience to deal with too the year before i did go to russia to moscow for the uh victory day parade on my uh may 9th and so technically it was my second time back uh, in moscow in uh, all these years uh. uh but this this was the first time working <laughs> and uh it was astonishing you know because for so many years we are imagining this story yeah yeah it doesn't matter how real it is. It's still coming from the imagination of the writers, directors, us, actors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there it's real. We, we, we shot at night. Every morning going back to the hotel, we, we, we would drive past the Kremlin mm -hmm. as the sun was coming up. And even working with the background actors, you, you know, who pass you on the street, they have a Russian look mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Russian 
thoughts. <laughs> Whereas here, not always that yeah. is the case. Yeah. And so it was an absolute gift. Wow. And I'm so incredibly grateful for this opportunity to live this story in the right setting, in the truthful setting yeah. for as long as we did. No, I understand it was a pretty skeleton crew. There, were, there weren't that many of you on that shoot. To me, it doesn't really matter uh -huh. because I kind of just, you know, I I have this bubble uh -huh. that I get into yeah, and that's yeah. it. It doesn't really matter if there's 200 people or five <laughs> people. But yes, we did go with the skeleton crew and we worked together with the Russian production company and it all came together. Amazing. It was a lot of fun. And, and, and you know what was amazing also is that having to cooperate with the Russians, mm -hmm. not the production, not the mm -hmm. film people. Mm -hmm. Because here it's like, oh yeah, you know, people are filming, it's a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're having to ask people not to drive, not to walk by Red Square is very difficult. Uh -huh. And yet everybody cooperated. We did not have one situation where somebody would be argumentative uh -huh. or not cooperate or everybody was very nice, very polite, very warm and, and, and you know, we're trying to help in whichever way they could, which was very touching to me because yeah. I feel great affinity to Russia. And uh, it was very cool that everybody had a great time and uh, got to see Moscow in that sort of, uh, yeah. in that light, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the work that Oleg is assigned at the KGB, rooting out corruption, it's obviously important, but it's weirdly dangerous. I mean, having been a spy in the Residentura in Washington, D.C., that seems like that would be a really dangerous and obviously prestigious job for Oleg. But now he's back home. And in a way, the work that he's doing seems to be even more dangerous. A lot of change is happening. There's a lot of disruption going on. How do you think Oleg is dealing with that? He had to definitely step out of his comfort zone. He's had to start working on something new, even though he does have skills in, in espionage and investigation and deduction. And he's a very intelligent man. However, now he has to deal with the political side of it. In those days, KGB was the only, uh, shall we say, government body that was not corrupted. Mm. And uh, that's why it was so powerful in fighting corruption. There definitely are a lot of new skills that Oleg had to acquire. You know, making new friends or building relationships is always tough, especially where how they say the walls have ears mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and you cannot be truthful with yourself. And a lot of it, you know, the relationship that he had to develop with Stan in the previous years, it's a very similar relationship that he's developing with Ruslan, mm -hmm. even though it's on this side of the iron curtain, because even though they are, they seem to be playing for the same side, anything is possible. And you don't know the real nature, the true nature of this relationship. You don't know. And he doesn't certainly know mm -hmm. if he's, you know, says anything and it's going to be taken back to the bosses. It's going to be taken and written down somewhere back in the archives. And you don't know, 20 years down the track, come up and, mm -hmm. and bite him. Mm -hmm. So he has to be really careful yet again. It seems like just when he's ready to be comfortable, they pull him back in. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, the, 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 the beauty of this story and the beauty of being a part of this story is that he doesn't have downtime. He's always thinking about the next move. It's really a beautiful chess game that mm -hmm. takes many, many years. Mm. He's also mad at Stan, which we know, uh, those of us who see the full picture and not just what Oleg sees of his life in Russia now, we know that actually Stan didn't betray him and Stan's mad that 
Oleg is being pursued for having done a very good deed and shared a piece of information that's absolutely, you know, may have saved the world when he told Stan about William. But now Oleg is left feeling that he's been betrayed by Stan, that the the CIA are after him. From Oleg's point of view, he's right to be mad, right? He doesn't have all the pieces of information. He doesn't know exactly what happened, and he cannot know. Mm -hmm. From what he understands, Stan betrayed him. And uh, in the eyes of spies, that is huge. You know, if if two Mm -hmm. friends betray each other, it's okay, fair enough. Yeah, let's work through this, even though that trust can never reappear. Spice had, especially in those days, this unspoken code. Spies of FBI and CIA and and KGB, they would get together and have beers and and play darts and play tennis. But they always knew not to discuss work. Mm -hmm. Many of them have become friends which is weird. You you wouldn't think about it. (laughs) But many of them have become friends, but they always knew not to talk about it. So when something like this happens and when Oleg in Moscow gets approached and is given this information from the CIA, he understands that Mm -hmm. Stan broke that code. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really send Oleg into stupor, but it does make him wonder Mm -hmm. whether he made the right choice whether he was right about understanding Stan, whether he was right about reading Stan, because a mistake like that can lead to incredible consequences. So I guess it's not knowing what's happening Mm -hmm. is what's moving his decision-making at this point. It's like trying to predict not the next move, not the the one after, but three, four, five moves after that. Because he has to be able to foresee every possible outcome, every possible decision that, the CIA can make, mm-hmm. that the FBI can make, that Beeman can make. Mm-hmm. What's happening back west? What's happening with Tatiana, who is a resident right now? Mm-hmm. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. And what consequences can it be for his family back in Moscow? Mm-hmm. Because we've got to remember that his father is a very high-posted official. Mm-hmm. So anything that Oleg does can have direct consequences to him. If something happens and he gets dishonored, his father gets dishonored, everything Everything that him and his family worked on mm-hmm. for the previous, what, 50 years, his whole life is ruined. Mm-hmm. Everything he ever worked for, the memory of Evgeny, done. Mm-hmm. Oleg learned something huge from his mother, that she was in a camp for five years and that she did what she needed to survive. Mm-hmm. That's a huge piece of information to absorb, to integrate. And yet he seems to understand that very quickly. He doesn't doesn't ever push her away, knowing that good people might have spent time in camps, you know, might be kind of a big thing for a KGB officer who has to have some belief in the system still. Well, it's not like it wasn't a surprise. Of course, it it was a surprise. Mm -hmm. What happened in the camp, I mean, he's a grown man. Mm -hmm. And it's not like this is the first time he found out that these things were taking place. Of course, he knew that these things were taking place. However, connecting that these things were ha- taking place to his mother mm-hmm. is something that hit him hard. And having her tell the story and confirm what he was guessing also hit him hard. And I think it also layers on top of everything else that's going on in his life, personally, professionally, and inside the family. Because what he realizes is that he is part of this machine that does that. It's not like 
you know, during the Second World War, it's like it's the Soviet army and then the, the Germans. No, it's 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 happening within the society that we are moving forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's happening in this machine that we are driving. Yeah, and his dad is a is a very high posted. He's a minister. Mm-hmm. He's at the top echelon of this machine. And Oleg is moving it forward, and one day he will be mm-hmm. that guy too. So all these decisions that he has to make, they kind of circle back to the ethical aspect of it. And I think he's, uh, that, that kind of ties very nicely to the original roots of Oleg and who he is as far as having very strong gut instinct and very strong belief in what is right and what is wrong. And that comes back. Mm. Because now he has to make all these ethical decisions as far as, okay, well, I am a part of it, but how do I, how do, I do it? How do I handle it? How do yeah. I save it? all these other people from possibly it happening again? It does seem to affect the way he performs his job in terms of instead of using whatever leverage, whatever he can do to, to achieve his goals, there are some things now that he doesn't want to touch. He doesn't want to use the fact that Dimitri, for example, has a son in Afghanistan. That now seems beyond the pale to him. Does that make him a bad KGB officer or a good person, do you think? No, it's, 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 he's just prepared to go extra mile. I mean, using the, the weaknesses and the buttons of the suspects is a typical part of the game. And it's not something that he hasn't done or he will never do again. Mm-hmm. It's more than just not touching uh, the sun in Afghanistan. What it is, is um, let's not take a shortcut. Let's not jump to this straight away. Because, look, KGB definitely could help Dmitry and his son in Afghanistan. And it's not really just saying, when that scene happens, it's not necessarily saying, hey, you know, we'll, we'll make sure your son disappears if you don't help mm-hmm. us. What it is, is the other way around. Mm-hmm. It's like, we will help you. We will help you with your son. We mm-hmm. can pull him back. Mm-hmm. But you got to work with us. Mm-hmm. Now, neither one of them have that power. Uh-huh. And Oleg realizes it when they're having that conversation in the store. So when Ruslan is making those promises, Oleg understands that that's not, how can you do that? It's not within his power. It absolutely isn't. It's way beyond their pay grade. Mm-hmm. Definitely beyond Oleg's mm-hmm. pay grade. Mm-hmm. Given how almost traumatized Oleg is at this point, for the first time ever, when he's had like several women on the go at the same time, is he has no love affairs. He's, he's like a man who's focused on his work figuring out his family is it less fun to play oleg when he's in this kind of very serious mood no it's not when you play any character you you create a wholesome human being with wholesome life Uh whether or not that life is in the script is irrelevant so when we had oleg having the love affair with nina he still was doing all these things. We just didn't see them on screen mm-hmm. because it wasn't part of the story that was right. being presented. Right. And now, just because we're seeing him doing his work stuff and his family stuff doesn't mean that he doesn't have any love affairs. He just We just don't see them. Uh-huh. So it's not that it's less fun to play. I'm actually very grateful that the writers are creating other sides of him, that uh-huh. they're creating a fully-fledged world for him, where we are able to see what makes him tick, uh-huh. not just on the surface, but deep, deep, deep inside. Because everything we're discovering about him this year, 
connects to everything, every single decision he made in the previous years. Uh-huh. And we understand why. Uh-huh. Now that we see that the relationship is so difficult between him and his father and his mom, we understand uh-huh. what was going through his mind back then when uh-huh. he was dealing with Arcadia in the first, first years. Uh-huh. And that father figure that became his friend figure. Uh-huh. And the relationship with Nina and the relationship with Tatiana and everybody else and, and Stan, mm-hmm. it all comes together. Yeah, yeah. And it starts to make more and more sense. And that's the beauty of what the guys are doing. It's yeah. just now it's like, oh, so this <laughs> is why. Yeah. But creatively, I had always this life that, uh-huh. that was very, very multifaceted. Costa Ronin, thank you so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Enjoy the season. Thanks to Tracy Scott Wilson and Costa Ronin for talking episode 508 with me. Thanks also to Ethan Simon for recording assistance and to the Americans Sarah Nolan for her organizational help. Please join us next week when we'll be discussing episode 509, IHOP, with Peter Ackerman who wrote the episode and one other very special guest. I'm June Thomas. This show is part of the Panoply Network.